morning. You know, it's times like these that, you know, I just wake up and uh, I'm grateful for the fact that um, I grew up in a household where my mom and dad loved the Lord. And every morning before we got up and went to school, they would wake us up and we would read the Bible and sing songs. So even before the Lord gripped my heart, there was just a storehouse of stuff to deal with times like this. Psalms 94, 9. When the cares of my heart are many, it's your consolations that cheer my soul. And on and on and on, just reminded that every word of the Lord is true. Romans 12, 15. It tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And I think us being so simplistic in the way that we view God's word, we read a scripture like that and we think of two different groups of people. But it's possible for this to talk about the same person that here at this same time, God can still be good and we can still rejoice and I can be sad at the same time. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. God's big enough to hold both of those emotions. And so right now as we go before God's word and we pray, we just pray that God would help us to do this. So bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, ah, we're grateful that you're good, that truth is cemented in our lives now more than ever. It has to be, because if it's not, Father, we have no hope, Jesus. God, but your word tells us time and again, we haven't found ourselves in new terrain, Father. We find ourselves in a familiar place. And even if we've never been here before, when we do get there, it's going to feel like deja vu. It's going to feel all too sudden. But we're grateful that you don't change because when we find ourselves there, you'll still be the same God that you were today, which is the same God that you were yesterday, which is the same God that you've been throughout all eternity. We thank you for being consistent, Father. I pray that though the cares of our heart are many, your consolations, your word would cheer our soul. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so for those of y'all that don't know me, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And like um, Tripp said, it is uh, just a beautiful day today where we get to rejoice in the fact uh, that somebody that was a part of this church made it to the finish line and they get to see Jesus right now. But although we rejoice in that truth, we reflect in the fact that it's still hard, and I think death really became real to me about four and a half years ago. I'm sitting at home, and I get a phone call from one of my best friend's uh, wives, and she tells me that his little brother was murdered, and she didn't know how to break the news to him. So my wife and I get in the car and drive up to the church that we're both on staff. I meet him outside, and I break the news, and, and he just breaks down and cries and just starts running. And I chase after him. and You know, I just felt this, this pain and this hurt 
And the only thing that I thought of is, this sucks and it's so hard. And I never want to feel this again. And then nine months ago, I'm in Orlando with Richard. And April the 14th, I get a call from my mom, find out that my brother had passed just like that. And all the same feelings intensified. And they came back, and it was so hard. And you just find yourself in this place where every emotion, every feeling that you have feels like the wrong one. And I just thought to myself, I never want to feel this again. And then in the next three months in the life of this church, LB lost a sister. My wife lost her grandma. Low lost his grandma. Caressing Crystal lost a cousin. And on and on and on. And it just kept coming. And what do you do with that? The thing that's instinctual. Tripp said, I got my old pastor swag because I got this <laughs> claw. The thing that's instinctual is what you and I do is we look for peace. Like a little kid that falls down and gets hurt, the very first thing that he does is he grabs the place that's hurt and he looks up for some kind of peace, for something to balance out life. But if you're like me, what you find out is that every place that you look to for peace feels inadequate. So the first thing that you try to do is you try to ignore it. You just try to get it out of your mind. You don't want to deal with these hard times. You try to forget, and what you find out is that even the most forgetful person has a photographic memory when it comes to pain. There's no way to ignore it. Then you try to sleep it off. And you find that even the person that doesn't dream has the most vivid dreams. So you try to eat, you try to drink, you just try to do whatever you can to forget about it. But everywhere that you turn, it's there. And then you get a call from a good friend yesterday morning and you hear that. And you find that for all your experiences with death, all your experiences with hard times, it doesn't give you better words. It only makes you more generous with the tears that you have. Because you and I have to sit with this truth. And this truth is this. Death is inevitable, but it's unimaginable. It's, it's so weird, right? We know that it's coming, but the certainty doesn't help us to deal with it. It's amazing how you and I can sit and think about days in our lives that may never come. The birth of a child, a wedding, a promotion, and we can see all of these things that may never come with certainty. 
But when it comes to something as inevitable as death, it's so hard to see or to feel. And even when it's there, it doesn't feel quite real. So when this day comes, whether you have to walk through somebody else with it, when this day comes, where are you going to go to for lasting peace? And we turn to God's word, the same place that we go to really get a real and a true sense of peace. So I want you to turn with me to Psalms chapter 23. Um, And as we turn there, I just want to give you a little bit of context of the guy that wrote this psalm. It's a guy by the name of David. And most folks think that he's old by the time that he wrote this psalm. And the beautiful thing about this psalm is this psalm isn't telling you to do anything. It's not telling you to be anything. It's instructing us on who God is in this world that we live in. And so David is a man who's experienced the death of his best friend. David is a man who's had his own sons try to kill him. David is a man that has witnessed his daughter being raped. David is a man that to the best that we know of had to bury two of his own sons, one that was an infant, And one that was grown. David is a man that's felt pain. Very, very real pain. And I don't want to read the whole psalm. I think most of us are familiar with it. I want to draw us into one verse. And that's Psalms 23 verse 4. And it says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The beauty about this psalm, and like Tripp said, the beauty about the Bible is that it doesn't lie when it comes to pain. It doesn't lie when it comes to hurt. It's very vivid when it deals with the complexities of the world that we live in and how hard times can be. Look at how accurate his description of what this is. He calls this place that he's in the valley of the shadow of death. Think of all that that entails. Think of how vivid and precise that his words are. If you've ever walked through the death of a loved one, If you've ever been with friends, if you've ever been in the midst of hard times, how would you better describe what that feeling feels like? Death may come in an instant, but its shadow lingers on and on and on. Death wouldn't be so hard if you didn't have to deal with the depression that comes for months. Death wouldn't be so hard if you didn't have to deal with the turmoil that it brings in family. Death wouldn't be so hard if you didn't have to deal with the valley of the shadow of death. And David says, even though I walk through this, it is inevitable. We're all going to find ourselves here. David 
death is as inevitable as birth. But when you get to it, you find out there's nothing more unnatural than death. There's nothing else that will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck than seeing a loved one that you spent time with and you did things with. And then you come to the realization that for the rest of your life, you'll have no more events with them. All you'll have are memories. And it's, it's hard. The valley of the shadow of death. Some of us will be spectators. Maybe you're here and that's it right now. You hear about it. You, you hear about that. You see folks that knew Frida crying, but at best, you're a spectator. But what's going to take place is that it's just going to inch closer and closer. And then you'll find yourself walking through this place vicariously through the death of somebody that you know, and then somebody that's even closer, and then somebody that you looked at life and you never thought that you could live without. And David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and all that this entails, he says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know that God's going to get me out soon? No, he doesn't say that. Why? Because it's not going to be as bad as I thought that it was? No, it's going to be worse. Why does he say he will fear no evil in what seems like is the worst thing that could take place? And he says this, I will fear no evil because I'm confident that you're with me. And so here's the point. Here's the one thing that I want to drive into your heads and your hearts because this is the one truth that will provide an anchor to your soul and that's this true peace is never found in the absence of pain true peace is always found in the presence of God true peace is never about the absence of pain it's about the presence of God it's never about just trying to get rid of something it's never found in prayers that just say, God, take, 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 take the pain away. Because even if he does, more pain is going to come. And if you put your hope for peace or not being in a place where you'll feel pain, you're never going to have peace. It's like waiting outside on a cold day for a bus that's not coming. True peace is never found in the absence of pain, but in the presence of God. That's the real hope. The only thing that's worse than real pain is a false hope. Because that false hope will leave you trusting in something only to get blindsided by real pain. And so the beauty is this, that when we believe this really to be true, that our peace isn't found in pain's absence, but in God's 
presence, it changes the way that we pray. Hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 15. He says this, the God of hope, Paul's praying that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our physical hunger shows us that emptiness is a problem. Praying for God just to empty us of pain is never going to solve it. Something else has to be filled. And David says the answer, the solution. David, a man that's buried two of his kids. David, a man that has seen his best friend die. David that's experienced pain says this. Peace is found in God's presence and only there. And it's a great comfort to our souls, to anybody that really knows what God's like. So what we want to do right now is take a little detour. And I just want to give you a snapshot. I just want to walk through the Bible and show you what this God is like. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 3. And God reveals himself to Moses, and for the first time, God gives him his name. The thing that's important to know about names in the Bible is this names are indicative of the character of somebody. Abraham means father of many nations. Jacob means trickster. Ruth, a person who showed this great love, her name means friendly, loyal love, and on and on and on. And so God says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Listen, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God says, I want you to know that my name is I am. And what that means is that we serve a God that is present. A God that's here. And it may not mean much to you if your life is good and you have all these things to lean on and you feel like you're fine leaning all of those things. But when the rug is pulled out from under you, you want a God that is close. And God says this, my name is, is I am. The beautiful thing about the way that's written, I am who I am, it seems kind of confusing, but the beautiful thing about that is that the tense doesn't matter. So it could be said, I am who I am, or it could be said, I am right now who I will be, or who I have been is who I will be. Who I have been is who I am right now. Who I am right now is always who I will be. If you've ever found any comfort in God and the things that he's done for you, he doesn't change. He stays like that. That's hope that this great God doesn't wear out with time. This great God is never caught off guard. This great God never says 
to us as long as we're breathing. You've missed your chance and I'm gone. He never says, wait, and I'll be there. He says very presently, I am right here, right now. And that's always who I'm going to be. And here's the beauty. This great God, this perfect God, is not content just to sit back and be by himself. This great God has made it his aim and his ambition to be with us, to be with you, to bring you to him. Hear this from Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. You fast forward and go to the book of Matthew. And what you'll find out is that Matthew, the first gospel that tells about the life of Jesus Christ, has these two phrases as bookends to the book. A bookend is this. Words that are used on the front and on the back end to show you what the purpose is all the way in the middle. Listen to how it starts off. Matthew 1, 23 says this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 28, 20, the last verse of the book. The last words that Jesus says to his disciples here in this book is this. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. And then the Bible ends with this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Look at what this God does when he comes close. It's not to punish us. It's not to just try to correct us, but it's to comfort us. He will be with us. He'll be so close because he has an agenda and a mission that starts now and extends throughout eternity. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Anymore for the former things have passed away. This is God's mission. To be with us, to be close, though we've turned our back on him, though we've lived our lives constantly running from him. This is the great God that isn't waiting for you and I to find him, but he's come after us to find us so that he could do this for us. So David says, even though I walk, Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because his hope for peace is not in the absence of pain, but it's in the presence of God. And he knows that he serves this God that relentlessly pursues him to be with him. When we come to the scriptures, one thing that we're reminded of is that every word is breathed out by God. God doesn't waste words. Every one of his words 
are very intentional. And so as we look at this verse, Psalms 23.4, there's a lot of great words in here. But I think there's two words that provide more comfort than any other place that I've seen in Scripture as it deals with hard times. And it's these words. Walk through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The beautiful thing about those two words is that it teaches us, those of us that have put our hope in Christ, that death is a detour. It's not our final destination. My wife and I were getting ready to have dinner at a friend's house this past week, and he lives up north, and there was all of this traffic. And he sent me a text and said, hey, John, the way that you normally take to get to my house, you're not going to be able to take that way. There's an accident. Things got messed up. You're going to have to detour. The goal was, our hope was that we would end up at his house. We just had to take a way that originally I wouldn't have. Here's the beauty of what's going on in the Bible and in God's Word. Is that God created all of us with an immense amount of dignity. God made us. God made our first parents, Adam and Eve, perfect. God created this world, this place where He could be with them. But as a result of their sin and our sin, they messed up the pathway that we were all supposed to take to God. God never intended God's original intent for us. When he made Adam and Eve and told them to, the way to avoid death, he knew that times like this and days like this and hard times like this would come as a result of disobedience. And he warned them not to. but they took a detour from his route and found themselves as the ones that caused this snowball of death to go down. You and I find ourselves in this same place. The beauty of this text, the beauty of the great God that we serve is that even though death for all of us is a fair destination, it doesn't have to be the final one. This is a text about a shepherd and his sheep. Those of us that are part of God's flock are reminded that we have a shepherd that doesn't wander. We have a shepherd that never gets lost. We have a shepherd that doesn't make mistakes. So if we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death and we're confident that he's our shepherd, we can know that as sure as he's led us in it, he'll lead us through it. It's only a pit stop. It's not the final place that we rest our heads. Because of Jesus, 
when Jesus came on the scene, his life is book ended. He's baptized. And what takes place is he's led out into a wilderness to pass the tests that you and I have failed. Then at the end of his life, he's led into a garden in anguish, praying to God. And in the middle of his life, it's filled with pain and suffering. And death for him was the most unfair destination. He never should have died. His road never should have been detoured because he did what all of us failed to do. But he took the detour of death. Jesus died for us. So that on days like today, though we mourn, there's reason to rejoice because we know that for Elfrida, death was only a detour. It's not her final destination because of what Christ did for her. Because of what Christ did for her. So a few months ago when she proclaimed her faith and she was baptized and she went down into the water and came back up. We all clapped and rejoiced because we said, listen, this is a picture of what takes place. One day, she is going to go into the ground, but she's not going to stay there. Romans 6, verse 3, it says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For, we, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. We come here today to rejoice because Elfrida found a savior. Elfrida is with her great shepherd that has navigated the valley of the shadow of death millions of times. Billions of times. And every time he goes to get somebody and bring them through, he always makes it to the destination. This is what we rejoice. This is the hope that we have, that our peace, it's not found in the absence of pain. We'll experience pain. We will experience death. But at best, it's only a detour on the way to our final destination where there will be no more pain, no more fear. So much so that in God's word, he can write words like these Psalms, 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Detours aren't pleasant. But if we make it to the final destination, and it is all that we hope that it would be, then a detour is worth it. And so we sit here and rejoice in the fact that because God took the initiative to come and find us and to be with us, that Elfrida right now 
is with him. And everyone that puts their hope and their trust in Jesus as the one person who went before me and did what I couldn't do. So we place our life in his hands right now. We'll find out that as sure as death is inevitable and unimaginable for the believer, heaven is unimaginable and it's inevitable. It's not based on our works and not based on the things that we've done, but we can sit here right now. Those of us that don't know him or feel far from him, feel like we've missed our chance, or feel like we have to do things to earn his presence in the future, we can be reminded that we serve a God who is present. I am. We serve a God that has made it his aim to come and get us. And right now, right now we can renew our faith and confidence in this great God and place our life in his hands. And so my one charge is this that you would make this simple comfort of true peace not being found in pain's absence, but God's presence, that you would make that simple comfort your daily ambition. That like Tripp said time and again, daily we have the chance through very ordinary things that God has provided for us to draw near to him, to be close to him, to be reminded of who he is. Daily, we get up and we gather with people that know this great God and we ask to be reminded of these great truths. Daily, we remind those that are part of this church or any church or anybody of those great truths. Daily, we give ourselves to doing those very simple things. God, I want to be close to you. I want to have a very real sense of your presence. So that when I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have the question of if you're here or not. That if we make it our aim to constantly be assured that God is with us day by day, that when we find ourselves in these hard times, we can look back and see this trail of breadcrumbs that we left to remind us of this great truth that we serve a God that is alive and active and he preserves us. And so is your pastor for many of you. I want you to know that me and the rest of the guys here, we dream of, of growing old with this church. We love you all very, very dearly. And when this day comes, because it'll come again and sooner than we think, we don't want to just weep. We want to weep and rejoice. We want to provide you with that confidence to know this great God who wants a life is placed in his hands. 
he never lets go. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. Christ would rather lose his life than lose his people. He did die once. And unless he can die again, his people will never perish. That's the hope that we have. That's what we celebrate and rejoice in today. That we serve a God that has conquered death. Let's pray. Father God, once again, we celebrate the fact that with you, though the mountains rage, though the earth crumbles beneath our feet, though we feel like we can't go on, we have absolutely nothing to fear in life or death because you're victorious. And you're not only victorious, but you're our great shepherd and warrior and commander and king that has never lost a battle. And you lead us, Father. I pray that we would follow. Help us to take our lives seriously. Remind us, God. That it's, it's so quick. Time goes so, so fast. Uh, remind us. It goes so fast. And we have the chance to invest something so small into something that will last for an eternity. I pray that you would break our hearts. I pray that you would help us to take this life that we have here seriously. And Father, as a church, we thank you for the unique privilege that you gave us to prepare Frida to meet you. I pray that you would make us as a church faithful to that end with any and everybody that walks in through this door. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.